Hello, and welcome to Pause Pop, positively pop culture, where we talk about things we love enthusiastically and without guilt. I'm K.W. Taylor. And I'm Carrie Gessner. And today we're going to talk about instrumental music, a new David Lynch film, and the novel and television series Sanditon. So Carrie, that's what you've been reading and watching. Correct. Yeah. Yes. Tell us about that. Okay. It's a series based on an unfinished Jane Austen novel. She was writing it when she died, and there are 11 chapters available to read. But because Jane Austen's in the public domain, a lot of people have finished versions of it. So the one that I read, there's a an adaptation slash finishing of it, <laughs> is by Andrew Davies. So he's done a lot of screenwriting for limited series and things like that. He tends to do a lot of adaptations of novels, like older novels. So he did, oh my gosh, he did the 1995 Pride and Prejudice. Oh. I had no idea. But he did Bleak House and Little Dorrit, which are Charles Dickens novels. He did Vanity Fair, which is uh, William Thackeray. Is that right? Yeah. He did Middlemarch, which is George Eliot. So he does a lot of stuff like that. Um, So he took this unfinished Jane Austen novel, I guess, wrote out what was going to happen with all of the characters. And he and some other people wrote the scripts. And then the book that I read is a direct adaptation of the miniseries. Oh. Yeah, it follows it really, really closely so far. It was adapted by Kate Riordan. I'm not quite sure how you say that. But she's an author who's done some historical fiction. By the time this airs, there will be seven episodes out, I think, out of eight. So it'll be almost over. It's airing on PBS on Masterpiece, which I adore. (laughs) (laughs) Love Masterpiece. It's about this girl named Charlotte Haywood, who has 11 brothers and sisters. Oh. I know. (laughs) (laughs) And there's a gentleman named Mr. Parker and his wife who are traveling in a carriage outside their farm. And they get in a small accident. And Charlotte and her family come to the rescue. And as thanks. So he's building this seaside resort town called Sanditon. And he, he's like, to thank you for your kindness. He's very kind of pompous. <laughs> and like very, very excited about this town. I'm going to bring in one of you to Sanditon. So Charlotte volunteers and she gets to have this adventure and go to this town for the summer. And she meets a bunch of characters. Let's see. Mr. Parker has two brothers and one sister. The younger brother is named Sidney Parker. And he's sort of a Mr. Darcy character. And... Then there's Arthur Parker and Diane Parker, and they're the kind of silly side characters that is typical of Jane Austen. They're hypochondriacs. (laughs) Honestly, they're very fun, though. They're very lovable. So I really like them a lot. My impression is that Andrew Davies kind of took all of the Jane Austen novels and put them in a blender, and then out came Sanditon. (laughs) (laughs) So there's a lot of stuff that reminds me of other Jane Austen, which is which is fine. But like I said, Sidney Parker is kind of a Mr. Darcy figure, and that means Charlotte Haywood is an Elizabeth Bennet kind of character. She's feisty. She has opinions. She does learn not to jump to conclusions right away. She's just a really nice character, which I, I like. Sidney Parker has a ward, I guess, named Miss Lamb. And she's uh, Jane Austen's first character of color. Mm. 
I think something unfortunate is that because we only have the first 11 chapters, we don't actually know what Jane Austen was planning to do with her first character of color. Mm -hmm. But I do think that's interesting that she wanted to introduce that into this book. I also want to talk about a couple other characters, namely Esther Denham. Tom Parker has a wealthy investor named Lady Denham, and she has a niece and nephew named Edward and Esther, and they are step-siblings, which is important because Andrew Davies decided to make them romantically interested in each other. Oh. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> it's, a, it's a little bit... Um, I wasn't a huge fan of that. Yeah. But they are kind of hanging around and hoping that Lady Denham will put them in in her will. But Esther, I think, has a really interesting development over the course of the novel and the series. I I don't know how much I want to get into it, but she starts out very cold and she kind of learns not to rely on her stepbrother so much and that he's kind of a dirt bag. <laughs> <laughs> so she she finds some independence and yeah, I don't know. That was just really cool to see. Um, I think the actress who plays her is really good. So I'm excited to see the, the last couple of episodes and see how she navigates that change. So Esther Denham is played by Charlotte Spencer. Sydney Parker is played by Theo James, who's very handsome. <laughs> <laughs> Rose Williams plays Charlotte Haywood. Oh, Chris Marshall plays Tom Parker. And the name probably doesn't sound familiar to you, but have you seen Love Actually? Yeah. So you know the kid who goes to America? Oh! Yeah, and he ends up in Wisconsin? Yeah. Yeah, that's him, so it's a little, oh. hard, to, it's a little hard to take him seriously, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> and then Crystal Clark plays Miss Lamb. Okay. So I went into this because I was like, ooh, Jane Austen, you know, I love me some Jane Austen. Mm -hmm. I think... Andrew Davies tends to sensationalize some things. And because it's unfinished, I would say it's probably best to go into this like it's not Jane Austen. Mm. You know, like it's a very, it's a fun, lush historical piece, period drama. But um, I don't think it's up to par with a lot of the other Jane Austen works. And I would not go into it expecting like Pride and Prejudice, you know. Mm -hmm. But it is very fun, and the novel was a very quick read, so I'm really excited to watch the last couple episodes of the adaptation. Cool. Yeah. That, that sounds good. I Yeah, I, I like Jane Austen. I haven't read everything she ever wrote. I haven't seen every single adaptation, but I've enjoyed everything I have seen. And this, this one I had heard a little bit about, but I hadn't heard all the intricacies of how they did finish it and stuff, so I might check it out. Cool. Well, let me know what you think when you do. Okay. You recently watched the new David Lynch film. Yes. This is like complete 180 from what yeah. you just discussed. <laughs> right, this could not be it. more different. Yeah. <laughs> this is very different. So this is just recently available on Netflix. I think it dropped last month on his birthday. Oh. And I think it's his weird little present to his fans. <laughs> So it's on Netflix now, but it was originally filmed in 2016, and it was first shown at a Paris art museum the following year. So some people had already known what this was, but I did not, and I deliberately did not read about it or hear. I, I put myself in, in internet radio silence until I got to watch it. It's 17 minutes long. It's all in black and white. It takes place in one very small room. 
It has a 90% rating on Rotten Tomatoes, which I think is completely justified. It only has four characters, and David Lynch plays one of the characters. Before I get into the piece itself, though, how familiar are you with David Lynch? Like, not familiar at all. Okay. So he directed um, 10 feature films between 1977 and 2006. He co-created the TV series Twin Peaks, which originally aired on ABC in 1990 and 91, and then there was a revival season on Showtime in 2017. But almost all of his films have, like, he's become an adjective. It's If you talk about something having a Lynchian style, it's kind of like something being quixotic. It's It's become its own adjective. And what I would say the unifying thing around most, but not all, of his work is that it is very dreamlike and surreal and philosophical and confusing, but not always totally inscrutable. It's often just strange. Mm -hmm. Characters will seem kind of off or you can't tell what year a movie is set in or things are shot in black. He likes to shoot a lot of things in black and white. He will often have kind of a retro style to things like there's a lot of things he's done that feel like they might take place in the 40s or 50s or 60s, even though they also have some modern things about them so that you know that they take place when they were filmed. But one of his big things in his own life is that he's, he's into transcendental meditation, where he will meditate for hours at a time. And I think that that lends his artistic work this, this very dreamlike quality, because I think he gains a lot of his inspiration from, if not actual dreams, then things that he thinks of when he's in a dreamlike state. Mm-hmm. So that kind of explains a little bit of why some of his work is is weird. Yeah. So this is, I would say, one of his weirder pieces. <laughs> I just looked it up and it seems pretty weird. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know how much I want to spoil our, our listening right. audience. You've apparently already looked at the the plot. Well, I mean, the plot as it is listed on Wikipedia, I will just read the actual plot description because it does not actually tell you that much. In a locked down train station, a homicide detective conducts an interview with a tormented monkey. Yeah, that's all I read. Right. And monkey is not a metaphor. This is (laughs) an actual monkey played by a little capuchin monkey. David Lynch plays a detective who is interrogating the monkey who may have committed a murder. (laughs) And the monkey is cute. It's very cute. The monkey is cute. <laughs> the The monkey is now part of my my phone wallpaper. Oh, and the monkey. I, there's very strange music. There's a lot of weird references to things. But I think that ultimately, a lot of reviewers and and critics and and viewers who have seen this, they think of it as being a comedy. And I would not disagree. But it's unclear whether that is intentional. Hmm. But I think with David Lynch, it doesn't really matter what his intentionality was. Right. I think it's just sort of meant to be almost like a like a moving painting. It's just kind of what it is. And I, that's what really worked for me. And it is a very quick watch, and it will make you laugh and think and be very confused. <laughs> but yeah, some of his other work, though, has not been quite so weird like he actually he's got one film i often tell people this uh one of his films is rated g and is based on a true story and it has a completely linear storyline and makes total sense um and that was called eh, wait a minute sorry 
That's okay. I want to point out that the monkey is named Tutataban. No, that's the chicken. <gasps> is it the chicken? <laughs> that's the chicken. I thought it was... Wait, who's... who's the, monkey the monkey is named Jack Cruz. <gasps> oh. Oh, okay. But yeah. the Jack, Jack Cruz is uh, the actual monkey's name. Yes. Oh. Like in real life. I, I think that is both his real name and his character. <laughs> that is cute. Sorry, I got confused. Yeah, that's okay. Because I was like, obviously, this is a monkey name. <laughs> well, then, no, but that's, yeah, the chicken is another character. So okay. That tells you even too. more about there's also a chicken in it. Yeah. The film I was mentioning that uh, was very standard narratively is called The Straight Story, and that was from 1999. I remember seeing that in the theater when it came out and being very, like, a huge David Lynch fan, but also this was very both, it made sense that he would have directed this, but it also was not anything like anything he'd ever done before. It's (laughs) hard to describe. There was still quirky characters in it, but it was very understandable. So I think that nobody should feel intimidated going into looking at David Lynch films. And if you watch What Did Jack Do, having not seen anything else that he's ever done, it is a good intro into some of his imagery but it is not necessarily the end-all be-all of what he does. So if it ends up being too inscrutable for somebody, that doesn't mean that you wouldn't be able to find some of his other work accessible. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. I'm looking up the straight story now. Yeah. It's about an old man who makes a long journey by lawnmower. <laughs> yes. And it is, and like I said, it's based on a true story. A real guy did that. His brother was dying and lived far away, and he didn't have a car, so he drove his riding lawnmower to see him wow yeah and what's sad is both actors who were the brother and the guy on the tractor have since passed away so oh but yeah i really like david lynch i i was excited about this it did not tide me over well though i would like him to make a new actual film or another season of twin peaks but okay but oh well just get in touch with him be like hey hey buddy hey buddy more twin peaks please yes (laughs) actually i might just i could tweet at him We'll see if he answers. Yeah, maybe. (laughs) But one thing I want to kind of to transition us into our next segment, David Lynch often works with some of the same composers for his films. And one of the composers that he likes to work with a lot is Angelo Badalamenti, who also has one of the greatest names ever. I just love his name. (laughs) And Angelo Badalamenti is one of the artists that I like to listen to when I'm listening to instrumental music. Semi-related, there's a French band called the Dale Cooper Quartet who took Twin Peaks as their inspiration, and they make what's called dark jazz, and that's a genre that I really like. Oh, okay. But yeah, so that kind of brings us into talking about instrumental music. I mean, I mentioned a couple, but what are your... Do you, you listen to instrumental music? What do you like about it? I do. I mostly listen to film and TV soundtracks. Mm -hmm. So I don't know what sort of instrumental music that you prefer to listen to i don't listen to a lot of like orchestral classical i guess oh okay but what i like about it is kind of twofold Mm -hmm. i'm someone who works better with a little bit of background noise so i always like to put on instrumental music when i'm writing and sometimes when i'm doing some other work too so one thing is that it helps me concentrate and the other thing is I really like to to listen to movie and TV soundtracks because it's always after I've watched something, usually, unless it's like John Williams, who I know I'm going to love. Mm-hmm. 
So after I've watched it and I'm listening to it, it's just really fun to kind of relive that experience of, of, hey, this is what's going on in the movie when this song is playing. Or I listen to Blake Neely, who with Daniel James Chan, he does all of the CW superhero shows. So mm-hmm. with stuff like that, obviously motifs and things get repeated throughout the season. So it's fun to to kind of listen to a song a super girl song and be like, Oh, I remember the episode that this was used in. And also it was used in that episode. And like, um, this is how they relate to each other and, and stuff like that. So, so yeah, it just, it's kind of calming. And especially with the superhero stuff, there are big action sequences. And sometimes I put those on at the gym. <laughs> oh, <laughs> That's awesome. What about you? What do you like about it? Some of the same things. I like to use it when I'm trying to write or concentrate or work, but I don't want to be distracted. Sometimes I can listen to vocal music when I'm working, but sometimes that can distract me too much. So I like that it doesn't have that extra element that'll make me pay too much attention to it, Mm -hmm. but that I can kind of tune in and out as I need to for focus. And I really like, I like film and TV soundtracks too. I do like classical though. And we've got a local classical public radio station that I'll sometimes have that streaming. Oh, cool. In the background. But I also like jazz and we don't, we used to have a couple local jazz stations, but now we mostly just have some jazz shows, which aren't really on at convenient times for me to always be working when it's on. So I I make a lot of Spotify playlists of different jazz artists that I like and try to Try to find new jazz. That's probably a genre that it's very hard to figure out what you really enjoy because um, there's so much. And a lot of people like, I don't want to say this isn't real jazz, but smooth jazz, which is a little more new agey and a little more like 90s poppy. And I don't hate that. I kind of like that sometimes, but that's not usually what I'm looking for when I'm trying to find some jazz. I kind of like a little bit more 50s style instrumental bebop with like a... yeah jazz trio like a piano bass and um, some other instrument I actually really like Harry Connick Jr.'s instrumental jazz it's like kind of people would probably say it's derivative but but I like it and I like his singing stuff too but his instrumental stuff is really really good Um, I like George Cables is another jazz artist and uh, Mike Garson used to play piano with David Bowie and he does a lot of really good Um, instrumental jazz stuff. But I also like instrumental dance music, like dorky electronica dance stuff. Like, (laughs) I don't know. I really love the German band Kraftwerk. Okay. I'm looking up Kraftwerk. K-R-A-F-T-W-E-R-K. Okay. They do have some vocal stuff, but it's some of it's in German, so it doesn't really distract you. But I like, I do like some new age stuff. I like Enya's instrumental stuff. I find her very relaxing. Mm -hmm. And I really recently got into, speaking of uh, film scores, I recently saw Knives Out, um, directed by Ryan Johnson, and his brother Nathan Johnson does the soundtracks for all his movies. And I really liked the music in Knives Out, and I went back and made myself a playlist of all of Nathan Johnson's soundtrack work. And it's really cool because it's a little bit jazzy, it's a little bit mysterious, but it's not quite as dark and mysterious as as Battlementi's stuff. Another soundtrack guy that I like a lot is Ryuichi Sakamoto, who did the soundtrack for the Leonardo DiCaprio film, The Revenant, as well as a bunch of other old um, movie soundtracks. And his stuff is very evocative of whatever the film 
is kind of about. He steeps you in that environment, hmm. whatever part of the world it's in. And he's a pianist by his main training, but his scores are, are very orchestral and really beautiful, but a little bit bleak. I also will often listen to the soundtrack from Dances with Wolves by John Barry, just because that's very, it's both sad and hopeful. And like that film is, I like that film, but I don't like watch it over and over all the time. I just really, really like the soundtrack a lot. <laughs> and I think that's something I've done before is like, even even if it's a film I'm not that familiar with, if somebody tells me it's got a really good instrumental soundtrack, I will often just, just listen to the soundtrack. I'll do that too. Yeah. Some of my favorites are, mine are all white men, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so obviously John Williams, I love the Star Wars soundtracks. Uh, I've been listening to the Rise of Skywalker soundtrack in my car a lot. I like a, a French guy whose name I can't pronounce. You might be able to. Yeah, what is it? I'll send it to you. Send it to me and I'll try to say it. Okay, cool. Alexandre Desplat. <laughs> Probably Desplat. Okay. Desplat. Alexandre Desplat. Thank you. He did, <laughs> <laughs> he did Little Women. Oh, okay. And he did some of the later Harry Potter soundtracks. And then I think you would enjoy this. There's a French film called The Well Digger's Daughter. Mm. And he did the soundtrack for that. And it's kind of, mm, I don't know how to describe it, but I think you would like it. Okay. And I like these guys who both have the same last name. I think they're brothers. I can't remember. <laughs> but I should look that up, shouldn't I? Okay. Because <laughs> there's Harry Gregson Williams and there's Rupert Gregson Williams. They're either brothers or they're not related at all. I can't remember. <laughs> Maybe they're father and son or uncle and nephew or something? Possibly. I mean, Andrew Lloyd Webber and Julian Lloyd Webber are brothers. So. There's another Lloyd Webber. Yeah, his brother, Julian. <laughs> He's a cellist, and they have a really great instrumental album called Variations, which is out okay. of print, but you can find it on YouTube, and it's beautiful. Okay, I did not know that. Yep. Also, these guys are brothers. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so Harry Gregson Williams did The Chronicles of Narnia. He did this movie called The Prince of Persia, which is oh. a horrible movie, but I love it. <laughs> <laughs> and I the soundtrack's great and then Rupert Gregson Williams recently did the Wonder Woman soundtrack oh okay and like I said I like the superhero movies so Captain Marvel's soundtrack was done by Pinar Toprak who was the first uh, woman to score a superhero film I believe oh. a feature film and kind of getting away from that I like this guy named Max Richter and one of my favorite soundtracks by him is from a movie that I haven't seen, but the movie's called Perfect Sense. And that soundtrack's really, really good. I would highly recommend that. Cool. And um, kind of some strange things that I listen to sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> if I don't want to pick something, or if I know that I'm going to be working for a couple hours, I go to YouTube and... I just look up epic fantasy music, and there are these mixes that are hours long. Oh my goodness. Yeah, so those are kind of fun. And then recently, I started playing Skyrim, and uh, the Skyrim soundtrack is on YouTube, and it, it's like three and a half hours long. Oh, wow. So, yeah, I like a lot of fantasy-tinged things. Like, still, in my listening, I listen to fantasy and sci-fi stuff. Awesome. 
Oh, well, that's that does put me in mind that I do have a Pandora station that I'll sometimes turn on that's the Lord of the Rings soundtrack is the basis oh, of it. Yeah. And so it just plays all that kind of stuff. And that's yeah. very relaxing. And then I I also like um, Vangelis, who did the soundtrack for um, Blade Runner, the original Blade Runner. And he also did like the Chariots of Fire soundtrack, which is not a science fiction film, but but they're very similar and, and kind of that, that sort of more early 80s kind of yeah. science fiction-y sounding stuff um, that's almost new age. I, I kind of dig that too. So Cool. Yeah. We'll have to put some of this stuff on our, our Spotify playlist for the show. We definitely will. How do you find new music? If you want to talk a little bit about that, we don't have to do a whole segment, but. That's really hard. And when we're, if we're talking about specifically instrumental music, I will often try to pay, if I happen to be listening to this one NPR show, Fresh Air, I don't always like Fresh Air, but if they have a record review segment at the end, it is often an instrumental record review. Okay. That's how I got interested in um, the music of John Batiste. I heard a, I heard a review of a John Batiste album, and he's Stephen Colbert's band leader on The Late Show. But he also is a legit jazz musician, and they reviewed one of his albums on Fresh Air, and I was like, that sounds like I would love it. And I made all these playlists of all his stuff and would just put them on shuffle and listen to them while I worked. I one day on Facebook just said, hey, what do you listen to? What instrumental music do you listen to when you're grading papers or reading? And I had a bunch of recommendations by the end of the day on that, and one of them was this guy Fat John, who does basically like... EDM, electronic dance music. Um, he's a producer of hip hop. He's from Cincinnati, which also made me go, oh, hey, that's cool. <laughs> and he does do some rap stuff, but he really mostly just does this like instrumental hip hop. And it's really, okay. I li- really like it. And so I will find weird stuff like that. Oh, and he also does the score for the anime series Samurai Champloo. Okay, cool. Yeah, so I think that asking people and then also like paying attention to what whatever music service you listen to, paying attention to what their recommendations for you are. Sometimes mm-hmm. they'll be stupid, sometimes they'll be good, but paying attention to listeners also listen to this or that. Or if you're making a playlist and you make like 10 songs on it, look at what it recommends that you add to it. Right. Well, thanks. Yeah. It's not a perfect system, but that's what I I do right now. (laughs) Yeah, no, and it works and it gets you more more things to listen to. Cool. Let me ask you one more question. Sure. Have you ever seen an instrumental artist live? Yes. Yeah? Yeah. I've seen John Williams conduct the Pittsburgh Symphony Orchestra. Oh, very cool. Yeah, that was pretty cool. And one of the cool things that they're doing now is, well, when you say instrumental, do you Mm -hmm. mean like the symphony? I mean, that counts too. Yeah, I guess I guess I was thinking more of like, did you ever go see the Trans-Siberian Orchestra or something? But Okay. Yeah. So when my sister and I were in college, my mom generally for Christmas got us like a series of tickets to the Pittsburgh Pops, which mm-hmm. is a symphony thing. So we would go to like five shows together each year. So that was really cool. And I've seen John Williams there. And recently, symphonies or orchestras have started doing this thing where they will show a movie but play the soundtrack live oh yeah so my my mom got me tickets for my birthday last year to go see them do star wars the first star wars a new hope so that was really really cool to see in person cool yeah so if you have a chance to see something like that and it's a movie that you 
enjoy that you know you like, I would definitely jump on that. I know they've done Star Wars, Harry Potter, and Indiana Jones, but I don't know what other ones that they they do. And it kind of travels around too. Cool. Yeah, the Dayton Philharmonic has done stuff like that before, but I've never actually gone. I've gone to see them just play both the regular and pops concerts and, and do special events like that. And I've seen I used to actually work at a now defunct arts presenting organization a long time ago that had series of world music, Celtic music, and jazz. And as part of my job, I got to see all this awesome, a lot of it was music with the vocals, but a lot of it was instrumental. And that really uh, started me on a love of some of those kinds of music things. So I'm, I don't miss the job per se, but I miss that element of the job a lot. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. That's neat. Oh, and before I also forget her, one of my current favorites is Lindsay Sterling, the violinist. I really, oh. she's pretty cool. Yeah, she's she's pretty great. And kind of in that vein, I can't think of any artists off the top of my head, but I really like when artists will take pop songs and do instrumental versions of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think that's pretty cool. Vitamin String Quartet is amazing, and they have made so many albums that are just various specific types of pop music or whatever that they make as string quartet. So, Okay, cool. I will look that up. Thank you. You're welcome. All right. Well, next time, we're actually doing a special themed episode. We're talking about all kinds of Star Trek things, Star Trek series, Star Trek books, Star Trek movies, all kinds of stuff, including watching the pilot of a Star Trek series. So check that out next time. Our theme music is by Joseph McDade. You can find me on Twitter at KWTaylorWriter. And me on Twitter at Carrie Gessner. And you can find us together on Twitter at PausePopPodcast. If you'd rather email us, you can do that at PositivelyPopCulture at gmail.com. Thanks for listening and join us next time for another episode of Pause Pop. <laughs>